0: Acts of the Blood God is brought to you by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? Maybe there's something that you want to do, or a challenge that you want to tackle, but you feel like you're just not good enough. I know, for example, that I often feel that way when it comes to writing. My lifelong dream is to write a novel, and my brain says, You can't do that, cat. You're just not good enough at writing fiction. But maybe there's a way that I can push through it by talking to a therapist and BetterHelp can help in that way.
1: I agree, Kat. First of all, I want to say I do think you are capable of writing a good work of fiction. But the thing is, I am your friend. And getting assurances from me is quite different from getting assurances from someone who's kind of outside your social circle and can really tell you, hey, what you are thinking is just a weird monkey thing. Here's how you can overcome it, because I can say for sure that my own brain is also my own worst enemy and best friend, and sometimes just kind of need to rein it in and put a saddle on it.
0: Yes, our brains can be our own worst enemies, and we all have our own hang-ups, and therapy is a great way to be able to articulate our experiences, and being able to put words to it is the first step toward maybe being able to heal in that way. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BloodGod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P pcom slash blood god. Welcome everyone to another episode of Acts of the Blood God and Independent RPG Podcast. I'm your host Cat Bailey. Join me as always, my lovely co-host Nadia Oxford. Oh, Cat! New York tried to eat me, but here I am.
1: Uh, I've figured out why New Yorkers walk so fast. It's because they know there's a vermin tide coming for them, and they're just practicing. They don't really understand it consciously, but that's why they do it. So I, I feel no ill will towards them. I find New Yorkers are the nicest people, unless you walk slow. But I can't blame them because they're trying. They're doing it for survival. So, hi, New York. Thank you.
0: Sadly, Eric was consumed by the Vermintide. Yeah, so sorry. He is sorry, being he's gone. permanently replaced by our other lovely co-host, Reb Valentine.
2: Oh, I'm replacing Eric? Heck yes.
0: yeah! Welcome. I always knew I'd kick that guy's butt. Yes. Yeah, I miss him. Indeed. Uh, yes, so Eric is out this week. We have my good friend and friend of the show, Rebecca Valentine here, and because Reb is on the show, we're going to use this opportunity to talk about the Activision Blizzard deal, which has finally closed. It's over, mostly, and we're going to talk about some of the implications and what's next. Also, uh, Reb or Nadia got to see Final Fantasy VII Rebirth recently, and I believe that she is going to have some thoughts, and we're going to talk about all of the other news that happened this week. Before we get to that point, please leave us a review on the podcast of your choice. If you enjoy the show, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Capot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Reb is at Duck Valentine. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Blood God Pod, where we have tons of bonus content, including our sister show, Charlian Dropouts. Nadia, every time Charlene Dropouts happens, somebody goes, well, that was just the most unhinged and wonderful and hilarious Charlene Dropouts yet.
1: Yeah, we we run a pretty tight ship, and by tight ship, I mean we're all a little bit insane. It's a uh, it's a lot of fun. Victor gets a lot of the credit. He does. He's doing a lot of work for all of us lately. He's really kind of taken a, a bigger hand in the editing, and uh, he does so much of the the, the work on Charlene Dropouts. But we do like I don't know. We, we put our heads together and come up with cool stuff. I'm imagining that the next show will be all about the uh pat the content in Patch Six Point Five. So stay tuned.
0: Stay tuned, indeed. We're also in the midst of our latest Pantheon playthrough, and because it's Halloween, woo! We're playing Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which you you may have heard of. It's a good little Metroidvania. It's the game that put Vania in Metroidvania, so go check that out. <laughs> it sure did, sure did, truly, truly, indeed. All right, let's talk about the Activision blizzard deal which just closed for a cool 69 billion dollars nice 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 there i said it the joke's done thank you Uh xbox now owns activision and blizzard which means that it has warcraft it has sekiro it has call of duty and it has various other games as well it has diablo yeah Overwatch, oh God.
2: It has Overwatch
0: everything. StarCraft, yeah. they even put StarCraft in that stupid sizzle reel twice.
1: They did. The sizzle reel was That doesn't mean great. that they'll ever...
0: No. As an aside, I would love nothing more than a StarCraft 3 or a StarCraft revival. It would make me feel happy. Except I know that if they did it, it would be free to play. It would have a battle Ew. pass. It would be uh-huh. larded up all the heck. With all kinds of skins and cosmetics and uh, obnoxious packs. And I just know that it would be like sometimes dead is better, you know? (laughs) Dead is better, Jed. The pet cemetery of of your favorite game. They just show up, knock, knock, knock. Oh, God, Starcraft is home. Why are you slashing my Achilles tendon, dear God? I
1: actually retweeted that sizzle reel, and I said, fine, as long as you stop stealing breast milk from the fridge. <laughs> that's all I'm asking here. <laughs> Whatever
0: uh, it takes.
2: They own uh, Candy Crush.
0: Oh, my yeah. God, they own Candy Crush. They
2: own Candy Crush. Uh, Microsoft
0: is very excited to have uh, access to the mobile market. And that's, yeah. uh, that's a big deal because, okay, one of the most Underrated announcements during the reveal of the iPhone 15 was the, uh, the announcement that Resident Evil 4 Remake was coming to iPhone. And what that tells me is that just more and more, mobile gaming and consoles and PC, they're all merging into one big blend. And basically... I think Xbox is smart to buy into mobile gaming now. As crazy as it sounds, there's so much growth to be had there I after all this time.
1: Would love to see some data on demographics or how many people play something like a full console release like Resident Evil 4 Remake, which is available on console, which is, is it available on PC? I forget. Uh, which Resident Evil 4 Remake. So it's already available to play on a lot of consoles on PC with a controller like a normal human being. So what is the ratio like what are people how many people out there are playing a console grade game on mobile as opposed to again Candy Crush, Pokemon Go, all that stuff. Like I'm just the very kids, curious.
0: There was I but, saw an eye-opening I saw an eye-opening uh deck uh I suppose like research not too long ago uh-huh. um about uh how mobile gaming and the way that people were playing AAA games on mobile has just become more and more prevalent, especially since uh, Fortnite. Fortnite was a big one. That mm. was a big catalyst. And increasingly, there's a whole generation of kids who only want to play on that touchscreen, who are playing Minecraft on their mobile devices and don't want to play it on a console, who literally yeah. grew up where tablets are the thing that they've been playing on this whole time. So I'm why wouldn't totally, why wouldn't they play RE4 Remake on it? Why would they play RE4 Remake, I guess? But anyway, like, I'm totally <laughs> fine
1: with that being the case. Like, to be honest with you, my nephew and my niece, they don't know a lot about PCs. Hmm. Now, all their computering is... Computering? Oh, my Jesus God, what I just say. All their computing is done on mobile devices, which is fine with me as long as I don't go through another stupid era where everyone's like, we're all going to mobile now. That's all anyone wants. And then they had to realize, oh, and they went the, the other way. So if you have that balance, that's fine. I don't care.
2: Hi, So, Hi. hi. How are you doing, Rib? <laughs> I'm doing great. I have thoughts about this. Uh, Let's hear them. The thing that many people don't know, is I have thoughts about this that I haven't really been able to talk about anywhere else because IGN doesn't really do a lot of coverage of mobile games and most podcasts mm-hmm. don't really want to talk about mobile games. We're going to talk about mobile games now. Um, <laughs> I I came up through writing about mobile games. Same. Uh, so Same. I have done a lot of mobile coverage. Uh, and like, yeah, t- like 10 years ago, there was this sort of very dramatic split between mobile games and what we traditionally think of as a console or PC game and and what kinds of games could be done on, on each kind of device. And I think a lot of people, our, in our collective, I won't say our age, but just people who are, very online, very console and PC driven, have an idea in their heads of what a mobile game is. And it tends to be like sort of this hyper casual, candy crush style, free to play, heavily monetized thing. And that's yeah. still true. That stuff is is like still very out there, still very dominant. But the mobile landscape, one, is freaking ginormous. It is. It makes up half of the money that comes in in the game, games industry every year, roughly. Like ha- all of the money that the games industry brings in, half of that is from mobile. I believe and it, yeah. A lot of it is is from these hyper-casual games, but a lot of it anymore isn't because in the last like five, six, seven years or so, a lot of companies have sort of found the sweet spot between how to design games that are on the on the like technical quality level of of console games or close enough that you don't notice but are designed natively for mobile so i think a really good example of that is genshin impact i was gonna say
1: genshin yeah genshin
2: impact is like a mobile game by by any by any definition but you have people also playing it on pc and ps5 and there's there's slight differences between the two in terms of like how you control them and how you play them but it's because it was designed with all of those platforms in mind, very specifically in targeting all of them. And it it, it borrows the best of all the different monetization mm-hmm. methods and all the different, like how to keep people playing long-term methods of both platforms. And so it works. And a lot of games are like that. Mobile esports is like actually a thing. Like people participate- Oh, I believe it. Oh yeah. People have been participating in mobile esports for a really long time. There's, there's a lot of games that straddle that line really effectively nowadays. RE4, I, I was interested in that news. I'm not- I don't know that we're at a point where people are interested in playing the kind of more traditional single player right. console like exactly. experiences yeah. on That's mobile, but it's interesting that we're at a stage where people, uh, companies are interested enough in doing that, that they're willing to put forth the effort to port them in like a way that yeah. is, is focused on mobile. So to loop it all back around to this Activision Blizzard deal. Yeah. Yeah. Xbox has not had any mobile presence which is kind of nuts honestly that they just really haven't had any any
1: yeah yeah right they touched
2: that market at all this entire time they,
1: Windows like... phone baby
2: yeah <laughs> and, you forget and they've just picked up the owner not not just the owner of Candy Crush but the owner of Call of Duty Mobile which is also oh, one of the right. absolute biggest like video games just just full stop out there right now and Xbox has the technology. They have this this cloud technology that they've been working on. They have the money. They have the backing to take the things that Activision Blizzard already has and become a mobile giant if they would like to, which I think they would like to. Yeah. I don't know how that interfaces with all the rest of their portfolio. I don't know if we're just going to see more mobile trash come out of it, but I, it, it's interesting and it stands at an interesting crossroads for the industry in terms of where mobile is going uh, in the I, I do
1: have a little insight on that as someone who does game consultations and without like kind of giving away too much about who I work for and what I've done. Like I have done some mobile consultations yeah, uh, as a, kind of a bridge between East and West. And it, when you mentioned like video games coming in from mobile, like the income rep, a lot of that is um, East Asia, South Asia. They're very, yes. very mobile heavy countries where Absolutely. the market is quite different. And I think now the Eastern developers I talk to are interested in bringing mobile games over to the West. They're realizing very quickly it's a very different kind of audience. And I think there's, I don't know if it's going to be a long-term effect, dear God, I hope it is, but they're starting to realize that there is not an easy way in the West to make money uh, with free-to-play games, whereas it's much, much easier in the East, but because the culture has been around for so much longer, whereas here we're still quite resistant to it. And I think they're trying, from what they've talked to me about, they're trying to kind of like, think you know psychologically okay what can we do to not say whales you know what I mean like they're yeah. just uh they are thinking more in terms recently in the in the in the realm of like Genshin Impact where it's like okay here's this console quality game here are these technically optional quote-unquote things that you can buy for it and that is the style that we seem to get hooked on like I mean god look at us in Fortnite skin skin mm-hmm. skin skin Yeah, Yeah, I'll add
2: to that. I was like, I don't I don't have a good sense of where the data is right now, right now. So I don't I don't want to hang my hat on this too much. But I was like doing some research uh, into mobile markets uh, not that long ago. And something that has been interesting in the last two years is I I talked about hyper casual games being like the bulk of the mobile market in the last like year, or maybe it was two years, uh, hyper casual, the, the overall share of like how much money they were bringing in, as opposed to other genres of mobile game actually went down. Uh so right. that that sort of very quick uh you know like cup flip game like like whatever you know th- those like really like basic free to play mm. games that just inundate you with ads they're starting to i they might have hit a peak they might be they on the way back have down hit a peak. now that we now that, and now that we have games like you know Call of Duty Mobile and and Genshin Impact and and basically everything else that's on mobile that's like really like high quality put together play this for years and years on end uh, I, I, I G is
1: still king in yeah. Asia and South Asia. absolutely PUBG's great.
2: Honor of Kings is a game that you literally never yeah. hear about over here, and yet it is mm-hmm. taken over China and multiple yep. other countries.
0: Okay, let's stop talking about mobile now.
2: Wow, <laughs> wow! <laughs> well, Demolished. I, I think the reason I,
1: I brought it up is because we were talking yeah. about how Microsoft really doesn't have a mobile market, and it's true. they have just inherited one, and yeah. this is going to be a big deal.
2: I mean, this is, but this is my takeaway from this deal is, is mobile, mobile, big flashing yeah. sign, mobile. Like, mobile, I do not think mobile. Xbox was lying when they said this is why they did it. This oh, is exactly yeah. why they uh, did it.
0: They're setting yeah, themselves yeah. up for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah. This is definitely a, a turning point, maybe a little bit. Yeah. In, but Call in of Duty
2: gaming. is a nice, is nice too. I mean, yeah, know, we're sure. not upset that we have Call of Duty.
0: Yeah. but that, What a nice little bonus. You can have Call of Duty as a treat. As a
1: treat. <laughs> I have seen a lot of Yowie of ghosts from Call of Duty. The guy with the mask. Like for some reason, people Excuse are really me? into him. What? I just thought I'd bring that up because I think it's funny as hell.
2: There is a giant statue of a Call of Duty man in the IGN office in San Francisco. Yes. Um, and I, I have heard a, a tale that I was not present for. That uh, during during the pandemic, when the office was, was shut down and, and the lights were off and no one was in there, uh, a passing person saw the Call of Duty man in the window of the IGN office and may have called the cops because it looked like there was a, a person with a gun in the office. And it, fortunately, you know, the somebody let them know, no, it's just a statue. And they put the statue somewhere <laughs> further away from the window. man but.
1: with a gun in an empty lobby shooting at COVID germs. He's please,
2: kitted please out to the nines. Please come get him. Yeah.
0: One of the major impacts of the Activision Blizzard deal is that it likely spells the end of Bobby Kotick and possibly high-level leadership in general for Activision Blizzard. which Ding dong, the
1: witch is dead. Which Very witch? much so
0: with Bobby Kotick. One of my favorite I mean... and weird stories from the past week is Bobby Kotick bringing in James Corden. Isn't that hilarious? That's Two so of the most hated men uh, on either <laughs> side of the Atlantic in one room together talking about... Activision Blizzard, James Corden interviewing Bobby Kotick. What kind of fresh hell is this? If you're in that so room. Weird. Anyone
1: who's in that room probably died like of radiation, like the way like acute radiation poisoning <laughs> will get you. Like,
2: <laughs> I so I've 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 seen Bobby Kotick. I've I've been in mm. within is it Kotick five or Kotick? I don't know Kotick. Like Kodick, he
1: deserves a proper pronunciation.
2: Well, I mean it's everybody does, but I I actually don't. know. I guess I've so. Been,
1: even Kotick, but yeah. Kotick.
2: No, i've I've been I've been within five feet of him uh, when I was covering the the get yourself the, checked out when I was covering the trial in San Francisco. I, oh. I was very he was there, and there was there was this very interesting moment where I was in the hallway, kind of waiting in line to get in, and he there was a, there was a batch of there was a batch of like financial journalists in front of me, mm. all standing in a circle talking, and he walked up to them to converse with them, and I you know scooted up a little closer to to eavesdrop, like the good little journalist oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good stuff. Uh, and he. He was like, he was very concerned uh, by the ways in which uh, video games are portrayed in in mainstream media. And he was just, he, he, was, he was talking with them about ways they could get better coverage of video games and mainstream media in general. But I, I think the thing that struck me most about his conversation is he is very, he's very good at, he's very good at conversation is mm. he he's very soft-spoken he's, he has a very quiet voice he asks everybody he went around the circle and was asking everybody like very very polite but very like genuinely interested questions about themselves like who they were and who they wrote for and what they were interested in uh he's was, he's was, like a very good listener and this is not me sitting here trying to pile praise on bobby Kotick, like he's not a good person but like you can see how he charmed his way through Absolutely. financial circles like he has he has that that executive charisma where i i fully believe that like everybody in the the fortune 500 whatever is like oh yeah that guy he's he's great we love Plus him
1: five charisma
2: you know like yeah it, it was just very interested interesting to see him in action
1: i can he... believe it like i wouldn't <laughs> think of it but when you said it like that it's like okay yeah that, that's that's how they get up top really oh
2: yeah oh yeah that man is walking away no. with the biggest bag of money you have ever seen. Uh, he, I bet you anything, he's gonna. So he's leaving. He's re- he's gonna retire for like a year. He's just gonna go vibe. He's gonna go sit on a yacht somewhere and just like Scrooge McDuck his way into a giant pile of money. And then he'll like he'll join the board of various things and and do do advisory board things. He'll be a movie star. He'll he'll like endorse a startup probably or two. Uh, and he'll just he'll just you know. Coast his way through the rest of his life. He has shares and a bunch of things that'll make lots of money. He's not going to suffer.
0: No. He definitely set up a culture at Activision in particular, but Activision Blizzard in general. And uh, it was an old school culture, I think, where he hired a a lot of dudes. Um, Mm -hmm. He was explicitly looking for Ivy League people. And he played a big role in the commodification of our beloved hobby and when you think about but when i think of bobby Kotick, i think of guitar hero being run into the ground starting oh. as a fresh and uh. delightful and experimental thing and becoming plastic instrument hell in the span of about five years yeah until finally it just died fun and, fact
1: mm-hmm. sorry the first thing i ever downloaded like as a big game like dlc was a. Uh, my Chemical Romance songs for Guitar Hero 2.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually thinking about getting uh, a guitar that you can plug into your PC because there are some really nifty... Uh, people use... I, I don't know if they're using AI or whatever they're doing, but people come up with really sophisticated charts for basically any song you can possibly yeah. think of. And I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. I, I want to do that. So... I, I may soon have uh, a little plastic guitar sitting in in my house so that I can uh, can play a little bit. But
1: I'm just picturing the plastic guitar from The Simpsons. We're like, we already have a guitar.
0: Do, 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 do. He's
1: turning the crank on Maggie's toy. <laughs>
0: and then at some uh, you could also argue that he played a large hand in poisoning the well with Blizzard. Of course, Blizzard didn't mm. help its case at no. all no. in no. many respects. But uh so there's a lot of give and take there but i think the the upshot of all this is that i don't think anybody's particularly sorry to see bobby caught it go now nah. no now xbox doesn't have the greatest track record uh to this point in managing its various various studios uh reb you can probably talk more about this because you've done reporting on um the initiative and whatnot but my impression yeah. has been that they tend to have a fairly laissez-faire approach and so the various studio it kind of depends on whether or not the studio can man- manage itself and sometimes there's been success uh and sometimes there's not been not success, success. and yeah. i think a lot will de- a lot will depend on the leadership of not just activision but whether or not Mikey Barra stays at blizzard for example right and blizzard's the big one because of not just Diablo 4 but the potential future of World of Warcraft.
2: Yeah, and this is I think I think this acquisition is going to be sort of an interesting acid test of what Activision or of what Xbox what Xbox can do with with such a large get, right? Because it has it has acquired like tons and tons of studios and I've I've heard different stories, right? So Xbox acquired Double Fine, right? And Double Fine was already this wonderful, well-oiled machine that was making, you know, they needed they needed money, but they they were putting out pretty good games. They had a really good leader installed already. They seemed to have a pretty good studio culture and Xbox gave them money and left them alone. And then Double Fine continued to do that. They continued to seemingly, from everything I have heard from employees and also their own like little internal documentary that they published that was very good. You should go watch uh they seem to be doing well like their psychonauts 2 was great uh everybody there seems like they're having a pretty good time uh and yeah they they run themselves just fine they didn't need xbox to swoop in and make a bunch of changes and interfere with the way they were running they were fine one size fits all is not a great approach though because some studios do need more help like i did do that initiative report earlier this year initiative is sort of a weird beast because it is um It is a studio that was created under Xbox, just sort of organically. But the point being, they didn't already have this really strong culture. They didn't already have really strong leadership. They didn't already have everything set up to be successful and just need money or, like, some resource from Xbox. They didn't really have anything, and Xbox set them up and then pushed them and let them go, and... Well, we still don't really have a game yet. And it seems like things have been very chaotic there. And it seems like Crystal Dynamics is mostly making their game now. So I'm not really sure what initiative it does. Uh, so yeah, like it, it very hit or miss. I mean, Redfall. Redfall is another situation where Xbox is like, yeah, we should have been more hands-on. Oops. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, oops <laughs> indeed. Uh, Activision <laughs> Blizzard is a weird beast. One, because it's, it's, it's a little more it's a little more close to Max, right? Because it, it's multiple studios. It's not really just one yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, their main leader is on his way out. Like Bobby Kodak is absolutely leaving, so they need to install someone in charge of like Activision at least. Uh, and then I, I don't I don't know. Like Blizzard has sort of been weird and ad- adrift lately. Uh, they, you know, like look, I love World of Warcraft, and but Overwatch Two had kind of a mixed reception, and and Diablo Four was great, but I don't know. We kind of forgot about it in the I, the rest of the year. We kind of did. I, kinda I, kinda I don't got know.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know if I would call them adrift. I would say that they are really cynical these days. Diablo yeah, Thor, that's
2: that's a good way to put it, too.
0: Very cynical in the way that it deploys its skins, in the way that it deploys its battle pass, and all I can think is that somebody put their boot on their throat and said, you better make money now. Make yeah, the there's, money. There's yeah.
2: been a tension historically at Blizzard between sort of a seeming demand to churn out things that will make money and... The very Blizzard has this this library of really good properties to make games from, and a lot of people who are very passionate about those properties who want to make cool things with them. So there's this constant conflict between art and money making, the art and business sides of games. As always, yeah. And and then they had the when when all the big accusations came out against them. I mean, some of them did impact Activision, but a lot of them were focused on Blizzard, and it sounds like like Blizzard sort of top top half culture uh has been really crappy for a long time and they've you know it seems like they've done some house cleaning but maybe not nearly enough it's just it's really chaotic there and what they need in my opinion is someone to come in and do a strong leadership and and steer things around and and push things in two respects, one, culturally, but two, just in terms of what kinds of games they are being instructed to make and how they are making them and is that sustainable and is that allowing people that, who have creativity and artistic ideas to flourish in that space. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a real opportunity for Xbox here to bring that studio back to its glory days. I don't for know sure. if they'll do it, but yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how the next year shakes out. I'm very worried about layoffs. Uh, I yeah. think they're inevitable. I think even even with the absolute best of intentions, uh, acquiring an operation as big as Activision Blizzard automatically means that a lot of people are going to be made redundant. Uh, I don't know, like what happens to Blizzard's and Activision's customer support people? Does Xbox just take over those duties and lay off all the customer support people? Uh, what about like localization and QA? What happens to them? What about like people who have just sort of office facilities jobs? I don't know, but I feel like. Some of those roles are going to be taken by Xbox people, and I think I, I think we're going to see a big upheaval at Activision Blizzard in the next year mm. or so of some kind or another. I don't think it's going to be like tomorrow, but it's going to happen
1: over the, over twenty twenty four. We're going to hear a lot of news about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're hearing a lot about a lot of news about that right now. Unfortunately, yeah. um, I think that Xbox, if they want to make the most of their acquisition, they do have to get a lot better at putting in the people who can be successful. I mean, when I read your initiative piece, Reb, one of the things that stands out to me is how they were talking about, even before they had even really started, their main vision was that uh, Perfect Dark was going to be a giant AAA transmedia franchise that everybody was going to love. That was the vision. It's going to be humongous. And they had an idea on paper and they could not translate that into a game yeah so and that to me is just that's bad management yeah it's
2: it's funny too because they denied it like when i when i asked them hey one of the questions i asked them when i reached out was like my understanding is that you had plans for this to be a big transmedia franchise you were going to do multiple games multiple episodes like you wanted this to be a long-lasting xbox ip and they're like well we don't really plan things out beyond a single game or whatever (laughs) there's no more and
1: bossing say
2: exactly and i'm like but No, I don't think that's true. I don't think you spin up a studio in the way that you did with the plans that you did and the people that you did if you don't have a certain level of expectations. You just picked people who didn't have ideas.
0: Yeah, yeah. What I found interesting was that if any studio has benefited from Xbox's stewardship outside of Double Fine, it's probably in exile. I feel like before Xbox came in, there was Obsidian which was kind of the beloved old school studio and then below that there was In Exile which was maybe a more niche thing but it has real heritage it had like it was started in part by Brian Fargo who formerly worked at Interplay and was a big part of the golden age of RPGs going all the way back to the 1980s mm-hmm. and now In Exile has one of the more anticipated Xbox RPGs in a Clockwork Revolution, and you could say all you want about it, kind of looking a little bit too much like Bioshock Infinite and everything. But they seem to be leveling up a little bit, whereas Obsidian is, you know, being Obsidian pretty much, and they're 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 doing Avowed, which would be maybe you could say fantasy, The Outer Worlds um, at this point, and. So I will I'm say of... I'm
2: very glad Pentiment got
0: made though. I am very glad that Pentiment. They were got working
2: made. on that already, but yes. I don't, I don't know. I I feel Didn't I feel they like grounded that
0: was... before Xbox?
2: Uh yeah. They so... they released they released 1.0 of Grounded under Xbox, but I believe that was also oh, in the right. Works. Yeah, I forgot about Grounded. Yeah. And The
0: Outer Worlds was before Xbox as well. Uh, yeah. they they were definitely moving in the direction, especially post Kickstarter era. Mm-hmm. Of bringing in creators and giving them some budget to yeah. pursue a passion project, whether it was the Outer Worlds or Pentiment, and it was within a very narrow focus. I'm not even sure that I can necessarily credit Xbox. It's Game Pass no. ended up being a very convenient way to do it, but you could argue that that was Obsidian's mo going back to you know the Pillars of Eternity days.
2: Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: Yeah. I think
1: uh, I can attest that all us creative types, uh, Kat, you have your shit together, but a lot of us need Thank need you. that leadership that of someone who has their shit together and says, "Okay, here's the project. This is what we're all aiming towards." We'll go, yay! Because if you put a bunch of creatives like myself in a room and say, "Do what you want," uh, I don't know, we're all gonna just like play Final Fantasy 14 and like look at the deadline and say, "Oh shit, I guess we better start." So mm-hmm. yeah, we need someone to be there to kick our asses.
2: As someone my who's dark. writing a book right now and who is very behind. Yeah. There you go. See? See? Yeah.
0: My dark secret is that I'm not a creative type. I'm just a, a manager. Uh, I don't a have a manager, creative bone in my body.
1: Type. I think that's nah, true. you're creative. You're a good writer.
0: Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, thankfully, we have you, Nadia, uh, to be able to infuse acts of the blood god with the joy that it needs. Um, sure. Let's call it joy. I like Yeah, that. joy. <laughs> <laughs> I call it evil. and that's going on a new shirt (laughs) um the question that i have as we look at this is okay activision blizzard they now have obsidian they have in exile they have bethesda they have blizzard what is uh, they have a huge proportion of the Western RPG developers at this point in time? Pretty much all of them. Mm, What does this mean for Western RPG development? And how can this be a good thing rather than a bad thing? Do you think?
1: Uh, I think, see, I don't really know. It's all a big kind of muddling cloud to me. But I think if there's one thing I can say for Microsoft and Xbox that I really do appreciate them about their development is that they do make a genuine effort to be, to put accessibility in their games. Like I might be wrong about this, but whenever I've seen live events going on, I think it's only Microsoft who's up there has an interpreter for deaf people. Like that's the kind of thing that they at least try to do. So I'm at least looking forward to seeing like more and better accessibility. But as for RPGs, I'm kind of nervous about them all being under Microsoft's roof because they pretty much own, western rpgs as we know them or at least like 90% of them
2: I think the vast majority of the really really stellar western rpgs that i have played in the last couple of years have been indie and i don't know i don't i agree with that yeah i don't think that's going to change i guess like i like like the, sure this is happening and and we might we'll probably get a couple really solid triple a efforts in the next decade or so under xbox and and that's fine but i i guess i guess i don't see this as impacting things because i don't i don't know that triple a western rpgs have been like brain explodingly good lately apart from Baldur's gate which is not under xbox would anyway you cons-
0: would you call yeah. that an indie rpg given that larian is technically independent and I'd double
2: a let's call it double a
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> no, no, I think it's a real, I think it's a meaningful distinction. I, like, look, I, yeah. there's, there's no meaning to the word indie, triple A, AA, whatever. But I, I do think that like Larian's efforts are significant. Like, look, I'm going to talk later in the show about in stars and time. I played chained echoes earlier this year. I played sea of stars. All three of those things are so far away in terms of budget, in terms of experience, yeah. in terms of like, what kind, what kind of game they are able to pull together from what Baldur's Gate 3 was able to do just because of money and personnel levels and I yeah like like I don't I don't think they're in the same category and shouldn't be in the same category but I also don't think that Baldur's Gate 3 should be in the same category as say like Avowed
0: no, or Starfield. Yeah. Well, I mean it was funded by uh, Wizards of the Coast and was a substantial leap up from uh Divinity Original Sin 2, just in terms of presentation, having all of those uh fully voiced cutscenes, so many hours spent on mocapping sex scenes, so impressive. But <laughs> oh
2: and to be clear, I think Baldur's Gate 3 is probably the better game. I mm. just mean that like even even with all the things you just said, Microsoft has more resources to throw yes. at things if they want to.
0: I that's all. I don't think that it's usually a good thing to have a ton of consolidation. I no. do think yeah. that the leadership for most of these studios remains in place. Uh, Fergus Urquhart's still running. Uh, Fergus Urquhart and jo- Josh Sawyer are still at Obsidian. Uh, the In Exile leadership team still seems to be in place. Uh, Todd Howard and and those guys that crew still over at Bethesda doing their thing. Tim Schaefer. So one of the biggest things that happens whenever an acquisition happens uh, you saw it was rare many years ago is that the acquisition happens and then one of the main creative drivers just goes my work here is finished i'm gonna yeah. go ascend i'm going to uh my planet needs live to in my gold house with my rocket car and <laughs> i'm all set they i rock. don't need it i don't need to do a thing and then the studio loses its direction if it's not able to find good successors so that mm. hasn't really happened yet. It's really impressive how Xbox has managed to self-own consistently uh, throughout this generation in ways that they, it seems like they're always trying to do everything right. And yet somehow they're not doing everything right. Yeah. It's yeah. it's very strange. And I keep I feel like everybody keeps waiting for them to put it all together and figure their stuff out. And we're still waiting to some extent. It's been a while, hasn't Has it? Like, been. I know COVID it's because,
1: slowed things down, but
2: it's because yeah. on paper, on paper, a lot of things about Xbox are so appealing. Phil Spencer, really like,
0: look, they say the right e- words.
2: Video it's- game executive. Yes. Uh, kind of a nice, neat guy. Interesting to listen to. Talks to people. Seems to enjoy <laughs> video games, which is like a shocker at the level he's at. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, they, folks like Sarah Bond coming out there and talking about diversity and talking about like the future of Xbox. Really freaking cool. Uh, on paper, looking at their portfolio, looking at all the different things they own. Wow, they sure have access to tons and tons of IP. Uh, a lot of the studios they work with, celebrated beloved studios that have, have churned out a lot of really, really good games with a lot of really good creatives at the helm. Great. Uh, Xbox Game Pass. People seem to love that. Uh, the Xbox Series X in general, apart from weird console warrior bullshit a lot of people seem to like that people like the s too i like the s uh like you can make a really long list of all the things that xbox on paper has done right but none of them are all coalescing together into the giant knock it out of the park home run that something like tears of the kingdom was or the last of us part two or like anything that its competitors have had in the last couple of years and no one's really sure exactly why it's not coming together specifically they've had good games pentiment was good hi-fi rush was good Forza's good starfield's fine uh yeah. it, but, but nothing nothing that is on the same level and i think everyone's just waiting for them to have one thing that is on that level that just absolutely blows us all away and we're kind of confused as to why it hasn't happened yet
0: i think it's just that they have a lot of parts but they don't necessarily have the infrastructure to support it, um, and it's it's not bedded in in the same way that there's not an ecosystem seemingly within Xbox in the same way that maybe there is at PlayStation. And maybe so it is a lot of really great studios that somehow manages to be less than the sum of its parts in some ways. And I think that Xbox needs to. To, to figure that out, um, to, to use a sports analogy, it's like a sports team that signs a lot of very high-priced free agents and everybody expects them to be awesome out of the game. Mm. But because they've never played together and maybe they're a little bit older, they they underperform. Whereas a team that has been together for a very long time and are uh, know each other really well are maybe going to be more than the sum. Of their parts in some. That makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's what's going on with Xbox. Uh before we wrap up, uh Reb, do you think they'll make WoW two?
2: Ooh, oh, I was hoping you oh. would ask about this. So here's interesting. So I've been I've been wondering about that for a long time. I love World of Warcraft, uh, and and honestly, I think the feats of engineering that that team has put together on that extremely old because every expansion builds on the ones before it. The feats of engineering they have pulled together to make that game playable in the year of our Lord 2023
1: is pretty incredible.
2: Uh, really mind blowing that that game is still going. And actually, I mean, it's not a. I wouldn't consider it to be one of the most beautiful games of any year, but Looks fine, runs pretty yeah. well. Uh, it has
1: a great style. Like, it's still the Warcraft style. Yeah,
2: gameplay still generally pretty fun. Dragon riding, freaking awesome. Oh, Can't I, believe I, do, I am jealous to dragon off. riding. Anyway, yeah. so they've done all these great things. It still kind of feels a little old sometimes. And you can still sometimes, especially if you're playing at like a really high level, you can kind of feel that you're brushing up against, oh, wow there's quality of life things i wish they could do but i'm like you know i'm not a game developer but i'm like 90 sure the reason why they can't is because it's built on this old ass thing uh
1: <laughs> spaghetti code I,
2: I i think a lot of people have been wondering about wow 2 for a while i think at some point the runway on that game is going to give out and they're going to have to just reset everything it's other been 20
0: too, years just the make lore, the game
2: the lore has been piling up it's confusing there's too much of it everyone's still pissed off about sylvanas uh rightfully uh you know it it we're getting there and the the thing that really convinced me that it's it's coming is the the recent announcement about Chris Metzen so chris metzen is like this storied guy if you don't know him uh, he he was around for the original warcraft games uh, he was nice. like, i think what is he like the creative director or like lead something on uh, World of Warcraft uh, when it was, when it first came out and then the subsequent like four or five expansions after that, I I think he didn't leave until like around Mists of Pandaria. I think he he might've had a role on uh, Draenor. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but chris Benson huge looming figure in world of warcraft and warcraft history like hugely responsible for so much of what made that game great early big starcraft
0: on. guy as well wrath
2: wrath Ooh. of the Lich king was a lot of him so, so people love this guy so he left uh he went to I think he went he went somewhere for a while so he started his own studios when he did uh to do like like board games or or something anyway he came back recently as an, as an advisory role and everyone was like oh and then just like a month ago they announced that medicine was going to be i'd have to pull up the press release to see the exact wording but he is now taking on a more active role again beyond just an advisor and he's heading up not world of warcraft but like the warcraft universe in general um and now i want to look at this this announcement sorry you're gonna listen to my mechanical keyboard uh
1: it actually interests me because uh i had I would never have guessed that FF14 would be coming to the Xbox. And now they're going to be, I don't know if you call it direct competition, but FF14 with, with the next expansion is making a very big effort to upgrade the game's visuals. Like it's going to go through another whole thing. So I wonder where that's going to leave Warcraft, both as like a Blizzard property and as, as you say, an older looking kind of game. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so here it is. He's stepping back up as Warcraft Executive Creative Director, and their phrasing was, his main focus is supporting our World of Warcraft leadership in crafting the next generation of adventures. Interesting. So what does that mean? I don't think, I mean, I'm sure he's involved. I don't think that just means making a new WoW expansion, uh, because then they just say that, and he would just go have a party with Ian Hezacostas, and you know, we'd all have a a great time. Uh, I also don't think they're just going to straight up bring back warcraft
1: robert I, riley says mobile games and just cursed a whole discussion i know riley. no
2: I, I mobile's a part of it they've already been working on mobile i don't think that's it either i don't think they bring back chris metzen just to do mobile games i i think this is like a storied guy who loves this franchise i think the reason why you bring chris metzen back in the role that he's in is because you want to hit something out of the park. that's fair yeah. and i i don't know if that means wow too explicitly i don't think it means like warcraft 4 uh I with all respect to Warcraft a franchise that many heart. people love uh Blizzard really dropped the ball with Warcraft 3 Reforged and even though I think that was 100% a game bad fault not a people don't like RTS's fault I don't think that means the people with money are going to let them do that again. They did the
0: it. I'm sorry that the team did not behind Warcraft 3 Reforged really really botched that. The passion And excitement leading up to Warcraft Three Reforged was palpable. Yeah, Yeah, part of the reason the backlash was so strong was that the frustration with Blizzard really boiled over in that moment when it turned out to be just a slipshod product. It did, yes. Uh, I think it's time for them to make Warcraft World of Warcraft Two. I I think.
2: I don't know that they're going to call it World of Warcraft Two. I don't know that it'll explicitly be just a new MMO that is is World of Warcraft or what what it will be. But I think I think they're going to do some enormous thing that is World of Warcraft in nature that replaces over time World of what Warcraft we Genshin, <laughs> maybe or. Or maybe, I, yeah, I, I don't know, like something, some sort of overhaul, some sort of new thing, some sort of refresh. I don't know what it would look like. It's probably not anything that I would imagine, but I, I think that's where we're going.
1: Anthrax Bees has something interesting here. They say, uh, maybe another movie, multimedia approach, which I could absolutely see with the success of the Mario movie. And I know the first Warcraft movie like kind of bombed here, but apparently in China, it was absolutely enormous and made like yes. tons and tons of money. It so wasn't I could-
0: terrible. Uh, I never
1: saw it. It was fine. So was fine. I can't tell you for sure, but I, I just remember p- a lot of people criticizing it. But I just do, I do know that in China it was a much bigger success. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mango
0: makes a good point. Arcane style show. I think Riot is actually a pretty solid, uh, shall we say, blueprint for how Warcraft how they could grow the Warcraft franchise. I agree. It's such a, like it is a rich universe. I, haven't I would love to, to check play out a like... top down RPG set in the Warcraft universe. Absolutely. Uh, it, yeah. yeah.
2: I don't I don't think that's a bad idea. I I wonder if they will do it just because like so I I agree like Riot has sort of been doing all these spin-off games. Have they been successful? Like like the show, Arcane, has been very successful, but apart uh, from that, like all these little spin-off games have they done in that? The one. By, the because, one by then-
0: Battle Chasers Night War developers was very very successful, I believe. I, yeah. Okay. I've
2: I've heard like very little about them. My impression is that they're mostly hit or miss. Uh the mobile Can't game be. from the WoW the WoW mobile game that is currently out in like some sort of weird beta in certain countries or whatever, I've heard like nothing about. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's like going crazy so i yeah like i wonder i don't know i'm i'm pretty set that it's going to be some big big swing as opposed to a bunch of little things but i i wouldn't be shocked if a bunch of little things came along with it well if
0: anything arcane uh, arcane has been very successful
2: arcane has been very successful
0: uh for riot a huge deal but the reason i think it's time for world of warcraft 2 is i think that there is a huge proportion of audience who feel completely lost and alienated by warcraft I, war yeah. world of warcraft at this point yes i wouldn't mind jumping in but it feels totally inscrutable to me i'm not starting from the beginning and playing 20 year old content or 15 year old content or whatever no it's time to start fresh and that can be a bad thing for an mmorpg unfortunately because there will invariably be people who will be really annoyed be like Wow, look at all this stuff that was in World of Warcraft that isn't gonna be in World of Warcraft reborn. But this, this is a great it's a great opportunity to hit the reset switch a little bit. And here's an idea. Reboot, do it, do a new Warcraft RTS and the MMO together. Yeah. Yeah. Make it happen, Xbox. If you do that, you will have my undying loyalty. All right. That's it for our conversation about Activision Blizzard. It happened. Woo! Woo. You're uh, free, Nadia. Hooray! We're free. <laughs> free. Our long national nightmare is over. We'll see what uh, ends up coming of this as, uh, as video games continue. Okay. It's time now for a series of random encounters.
2: If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link.
0: Sony has unveiled the PS5 Slim, reduced in value by more than 30%. It's $499. 99 There will be a digital version as well. It's inspired controversy because it's not that different. And yes. there have been people it's talking the same. about how it's, it's a the same. stealth price rise. It's That's a little same. slimmer. It's a little guy. It's really. the
2: same.
0: It's just a price cut. It's just them I reducing like the overhead on the creating the console.
2: That that morning when that news came out, I spent a good like twenty minutes googling photos of the PS5 because, like, all the photos I saw were of the new, the new Slim, and I I was looking at the uh, and I couldn't I couldn't discern who had posted photos of the original one and who had posted photos. of they the They are so goddamn the, the same. It looks like Sato Kaiba. It looks like an air conditioner. I don't know what to tell you.
1: <laughs> I say ice cream. Both of them say yes. How the hell? <laughs>
0: Well, I have my PS5 already, and I don't see any particular need to buy a PS5 Same. Slim. So uh, it's not a situation where where I had an old PS2, and the, the disk drive was breaking, and I, the PS2 Slim was looking mighty appealing. I'm fine with my PS5 as it is, chonky as it is.
1: I had totally forgot that I promised my husband I would buy a new PlayStation 5 with a disc drive because I got the original like my I got my original PS5. It's a, it's a digital download only console. And I got it during that time when PS5 was impossible to find. I happened to yank one from whatever I got really lucky. And my husband was like, oh, he was kind of upset because it, it had no disc drive. And I'm like, I don't care about the disc drives. I need to play these games right now. We're kind of different. Uh, uh kind of diff- of different minds on that topic. So when this came out he said, "So, are you going to get it?" I'm like, "Why the hell would I get it?" It's like you promised to get a-, a PS5 like upgraded with a disc drive. I'm like,
2: "Not now." <laughs> yeah. That's, can I get I, can yeah, think
1: I, sh- a- I get a million things I could buy instead of this hunk of crap.
2: Can I share a hot take actually? I I think mid I I normally am, am lukewarm on mid-gen refreshes just as a principle. Mm, same. I think this specific one, both on the PlayStation side and the one that we know from the league documents is coming on the Xbox side. Foolishness. Absolute foolishness, given the current environment. So the pandemic happened, right? And it made these massive supply shortages happen. And so a bunch of people, like we we only just started reading articles this year about how finally supply chains had stabilized. There were plenty of PS5s in the store. Uh, We actually are seeing them left on the shelves because enough people have bought them that, you know, there's enough to meet demand. Finally, in 2023, three years after it came out. So a lot of people have just gotten their console. Why are we releasing a mid-gen refresh, you weirdos? Like, why did we not can this when we saw that? Because they're cutting
0: cutting cost on manufacturing with the PS5. This is a cost-cutting thing.
2: Nintendo canned it's mid-gen refresh
0: we we believe we that's because of the pandemic the
2: reports it will exactly yeah. but the pandemic hit everybody
0: it yeah. did but that was also two years ago um in any I event feel like like i think this Bal- is foolish oh,
2: sure.
1: it is because i feel like Baldur's gate 3 is the first ps5 game that i'm actually like okay this is a game for the ps5 i've certainly played a couple that kind of almost got there but this is the first time it's like okay i am finally in this generation Let's go. Oh, here's a here's a refresh.
0: Thanks. That that really makes me confident. Like I said, I don't think this is a consumer-facing thing. I think that Sony just wants to cut costs. That's literally the reason that they're doing it's this. Like it's like when not, they replace It's the, not like the, they're releasing the PS5 Pro. This is just a, the PS5, but smaller.
2: I mean, they and, just basically did a price increase on the all digital. Yeah. That, that's what this, this was, yeah. that, that's this is, the actual news here. Is this, this is literally guys, the, the reason
0: increase. that they're doing it. But a blast Sully. process just <laughs> mm. John Ricatello is retiring after the Unity pricing controversy. Uh, Lords of the Fallen's Xbox performance patch is going to take a bit longer. So it won't be quite as good as the PS5 and the PC version when it comes out at launch. I'm curious to see if Lords of the Fallen ends up being good. I just have literally no interest in this game. Maybe because of the... I don't want edgelordy Dark Souls, maybe. But maybe it's good. Who knows? Uh, The Disney boss, uh, Disney boss, uh, Bob Iger was advised to acquire a large gaming publisher, get back into gaming. And EA was a name that was floated in the Bloomberg report. God knows EA is just desperate to be purchased at this point. Uh, Peter Molyneux apparently wants to make a game set in the land of Fable or Albion. I have no idea how that would work. That's not,
2: no, you can't do that, man
1: he's He could do anything. He made a cube, God damn it. he
2: can he can make a game that kind of vaguely looks like it's set in Albion. And then when people ask about it in interviews, he can go wink, wink. But if he starts going around telling people that it's literally set in Fableland, someone's going to sue him.
1: Oh, he's going to get sued in five seconds flat. It'd be funny to watch. You know that you know that picture of Timmy Turner saying, "Please, dear God, please make this real So it would be so fucking funny. Like, it's like that to me,
0: yeah uh final fantasy 14 is offering an expanded free trial that will include stormblood so we're going to have to redo the little monologue oh well, we've already the been that. have you heard monster.
1: about yeah yeah uh, we already uh. we've, we've already updated the meme someone actually when i was at fan fest someone brought a sign that you know had the whole meme have you heard blah 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 and so they're holding the sign being like god damn it, it's already out <laughs> the joke's already out it's already old
2: Nadia, did I ever tell you that I went to a, uh, it was a going away party for a friend of mine uh, a couple of years, a couple of years back, uh, that did not involve any, no games journalists, like no, no hardcore, like gamer people that I know. Like there was no reason to think that anyone would talk about video games with me at this party and three separate people at different points did the Final Fantasy 14 meme to me. <laughs> Total strangers. Delightful.
0: They could smell it on you. Diablo four season two, the season of blood vampires are in this one, but not the sexy Mm. type, uh, is out this week. And would you believe it? Blizzard is once again, rethinking basically all of the mechanics in Diablo four uniques, the way that, uh, they're making a lot of wholesale changes to the actual mechanics, how elemental resistances, uh, ultimately work. It's, it's interesting to see how many changes this game has gone through in the span of four, four months. It's been four months since this game came out and they've gone through so many changes in re- reaction to uh fan feedback uh, for what it's worth. I I've been playing final uh, Diablo four and I don't hate it actually. It's just that if you want a good end game, if you want to, if you want a good seasonal game, maybe you're going to be a little unhappy with this one. And finally, yeah. Cyberpunk 2077 used AI technology to replicate a popular Polish voice actor for Phantom Liberty. Uh, CD Projekt did ask the family's permission. They made a big deal out of, out of it. But uh, it's it makes you wonder whether or not uh, they're setting a little bit of a precedent here. Because people are like, well, they did it right so it's fine it's fine but eh. it's weird
2: this is a tough one right because like Mm -hmm. look on one hand when you have a voice actor who's already, or an actor in general who's already been a part of something and you know the god forbid something tragic happens and suddenly they're not around to finish that work that they clearly wanted to be a part of clearly wanted their, their voice or their image or whatever in, and they're not, they're not around to finish the job. Like, I don't know, like, what do you do? Cause it, it's very hard to sort of ride around suddenly someone being missing. I mean, in voice acting, you can always replace them. In regular acting, it's a little bit harder, you know, theoretically going to get the family's permission is the right thing to do. But at the same time, I mean, you have a situation where, I don't know, sometimes when, when people die, we try to figure out, what they would have wanted reasonably and yeah. to do that we go yeah. to their families or their next of kin or their closest relatives and, and ask them, what would this person have wanted? And sometimes very often, I think the people who are closest to them try very hard to say, well, I, I knew them very well. Uh, they talked about this. I think they would have wanted, would have wanted X. And then we act on that. But sometimes families are just like, well, they would have wanted one thing, but I'm they're dead and I'm here and I want another thing. So I'm going to tell them the thing that I want instead to get money or whatever. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that's what happened here, but you're right, Kat, that a precedent has now been set for that kind of thing to happen again in the future. And with AI, it's really dicey because, you know, I think where does it stop? (laughs) This is
1: a me going way off into the weeds here, but I think we're becoming more and more death adverse as a culture. And Mm. it kind of bothers me because people die, they move on. Yes. Who knows where, who knows why, but the young the idea is the youngsters are supposed to kind of grow up into these roles and have a chance to to make something of themselves. And that's hard to do when people just won't die because they're mechanically reanimated. I don't know, it's just the way I feel. I feel very like uh I feel very weird about it. Just dead is better. Sometimes I mean, dead is better.
0: This is this has been a precedent that's been set for a while. Back in the 90s There was a controversy because Fred Astaire, footage of Fred Astaire was used to sell vacuums. Fred Astaire had been dead for a while at that point. And people were like, God, this is kind of ghoulish. And now, uh, in the feature film Ghostbusters Afterlife, a very bad movie, they include a CG Harold Ramis. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Zombie Rayman, and they
0: frame it as a heartfelt goodbye, and it feels like anything but. It feels very cynical. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it.
1: I, I think one of the reasons—I um, mean, there's a lot of reasons to not like uh, Rise of Skywalker, but I don't know. I feel like Leia being in there. I know she mm. was she CG or animated. I don't know what happened with her, but it was just like. It was a combination
2: of stuff they had already filmed of her, and then like maybe a little bit of. That's fair. That's that's kind
1: of a difficult situation. But I feel like one of the reasons that the last, uh, sorry, not the last Jedi, yeah, the last Jedi is so powerful of a movie is because it was her last role. Yeah. And I, I loved Leia in in the sequels. I know you can lay a whole bunch of criticism on the sequels. It was so good to see, uh, just Leia in there as an older woman in a movie with a powerful role and that's all gone and there's like this real kind of fade out flubbery like eh like farewell in the last movie and it's just I don't know when when people go they should go if I it's just how I feel
2: we you're you're I think you're absolutely right like we're death adverse and just I, I think broadly that expands to we like as a culture we don't want to let things go we I, don't we're very I mean, nostalgia I mean- poisoned yeah, and maybe maybe I'm extrapolating a little bit too much, but I think that extends to the fact that we just live in this culture of constant sequels and reboots and and prequels and 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 expanding out these universes like farther than anyone ever orig- who created them originally envisioned they could or should be. And look, look, I love a good 20-volume sci-fi series as much as Same. the next girl, but let things be over. It's fine. We can have endings and then say goodbye. And if there's unanswered questions, we can leave them to speculation and fan fiction. It's okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's why God invented fan fiction, as I say.
2: Yeah. Anyway, what were <laughs> we talking about?
1: <laughs> uh, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. <laughs> Cyberpunk. Uh,
2: well, this is a DLC, so this doesn't really... Im- they could have just recast the voice actor, I think. It probably would have been fine.
0: Well, now it's time to roll into the tavern, settle in. Next to the fire for some comfy cozy discussion about In Stars and Time and Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. Wow. But first, I had a moment, folks. I had a breakthrough last night. I was up until three in the morning playing wow. Starfield, a game that I've complained about very vocally on this podcast until now. I've been just powering through this game, determined <laughs> to enjoy it, swallowing
1: and- it whole like a snake.
0: there have been a few few things that i've done to enhance my enjoyment one is i installed some mods specifically the star ui mod Mm, and the mod that gives you 120 fps ui elements and also uh the mod that makes it so that the camera isn't zooming straight into the face of a character during a dialogue so that it doesn't glitch out as badly and I didn't realize how much friction all of these problems were adding for me. Uh. But once, once I addressed those, I was like, okay, this feels so much better already. Also I heavily modified a a ship. I got the mantis ship and I went in and I spent a huge amount of time just getting all the habitats, creating a good layout. Um, My ship now there's, a big cockpit and there's research stations and a workshop. And then the next level up, uh, you have like an armory with all of the various guns and uh, armor and everything. And then the next level up above that is the captain's quarters with windows and everything. And I'm like, okay, this ship feels like home Mm -hmm, at this point. mm -hmm. And finally I got into a pretty solid quest line. The, the UC Vanguard quest line is actually fun and i recommend that you do that one relatively early maybe don't go do what i did and go and do the free star collective one right away you'll get better rewards for free star collective but i just don't think that faction line is very good i still don't think starfield is that great and i don't think i can recommend it i'm really i'm really digging here as best i can to find a good experience in Starfield. <laughs> and I've finally found the fun to some extent. I'm glad, I'm I glad finally you found, found some it. fun.
1: Because just how long you've been waiting for this game to have it come along. by like, oh, it's kind of mid. But there is something there. I've heard you and many others say the shipbuilding is by far the strongest aspect of this game. They just forgot to build a game around it. So maybe we'll see good DLC. And I mean, hell, a cyberpunk could be saved. Who says that Starfield can't be made better?
2: That's okay. That's really. and I, I said this before the show too, and I just want to throw it in there because I'm so fascinated. I have talked to multiple people. I've not played Starfield. I've talked to multiple people who have played Starfield who say that the ship building is worse than the Kingdom Hearts gummy ships, and so I don't like. Th- those are two oh. very different opinions, <laughs> very <laughs> wildly different. And I, I really want to know: was there a patch somewhere? What's, what's I the disconnect? To like, I don't
0: I haven't played it either. Catwoman. I, I find that comparison weird. I mean, I don't like Kingdom so do Hearts I. and I don't really play it. So, like it. it's hard for me to really speak to the gummy ships. I assume it's because of the snap together nature of it. I find it uh. very intuitive um because uh. you go into this menu and you see the ship and you can pull it apart like when you explode something, you just like pull it apart. You pull out the halves very easily. It's easy to color it. Um, the the various items snap together pretty intuitively i think you can upgrade and Mm -hmm. modify a ship really easily and so it's very painless i would Mm. say i think if there's one thing that i would like for it one i would like there to be more utility for the ships themselves like even beyond workshop stations and research stations and whatnot And also I would just like more parts because there are four main aesthetics Uh at this point. And I think it needs more aesthetics, more art, more, more aesthetics, more opportunities for unique ships. And I think the success of Starfield shipbuilding is born out in the fact that people obsessively, uh, the whole communities have grown up around building cool ships. You can get, you can build some big ships, big cool ships (laughs) my problem with starfield is that as cool as a shipbuilding is there's not a lot to do with that ship Hmm. and if there's one thing that i wish that starfield really embraced was making you feel like you're living in the ship i think we talked in another episode maybe about the concept of i wish the ship were the equivalent of Baldur's gates uh campsite yeah Um, yeah I can imagine a scenario where you're doing a long rest in your ship while you're traveling. Effectively, talk having scenes with your companions, and then fade to black, and then you get a exterior shot of your ship and a little like date and time, and then you're back to your character. I think characters having sex in the air ducts. Yeah, Yeah. I think presentation elements. I think presentation elements like that would help a lot. Actually. I don't like that Starfield feels very bereft of uh, imagination. Yeah, whenever, that's, that's, that's a good word for it. Whenever a game like this... Okay, whenever a bunch of nerds try and do a sci-fi setting and they do a cyberpunk type thing, and they're like, look, there are drugs in this one, and like oh, cybernetic sex, them. and raving, and it's... Raving's awesome. And it feels very fake- And and more than a little cringe, and uh, that's very much the case with Starfields. Like, I'm like you. You people have never. You people have maybe know some people who have been to a raise, but you've never been to a rave in your life, have you? I've
1: been to a rave. A guy tried to pick me up. It was really creepy.
0: Their pirate, their their pirate base is fine Uh, aesthetically. It's okay, but it feels a little Disneylandish. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say, I think the way Baldur's Gate kind of really tackles like the toughies is always great. Like I can't even remember where it was, but there was just this enclave I was in and these thieves were getting ready to pick up and run. And there were these two brothers just jabbing the hell out of each other, like, you know, oh I saw you draw something I I saw you drew something. It's like, so it's better than you know, that ponce you sold off because I actually got the artist. <laughs> and I convinced them to give me the artist that was trapped there, and it's like, oh, keep it up, little brother. And someday you'll be, you know, you'll make us a lot of money, and uh, cause, and then I could sell you off. Like mom always wanted. It's just mm-hmm. like stuff like that was makes the,
0: the the characters for me. I I also wish there were a point to the outposts. I just I don't feel like there's a point to the outposts in this game. You, you build them, they can acquire resources for you, but the resources are so abundant that it's like, so uh. what. Yeah, Who cares? That's, always,
1: that's always eh when that happens in an RPG.
0: Yeah, and the universe doesn't feel sufficiently lived in or interesting that I want to build an outpost and live there. So yeah. I'm happy to just tool around in my ship. I'm done with the outpost building stuff. It's not even like Fallout 4 because one of the essential elements missing from Starfield is the sense of walking through a cohesive world. So mm. in Fallout 4, I had settlements everywhere. And that felt right. In here, I don't feel like the world is cohesive, so I don't have any reason to build an actual outpost. I I will say that now that I've gotten to the Vanguard quest line, it has a pretty fun quest line where you're going into deep cover in the Crimson Fleet, which is the pirates in this game, and. It has one of my favorite uh, RPG conceits, and it does this in uh, Dragon Age Inquisition and games like that, where you go to a party and you have multiple objectives and you're mostly doing uh, dialogue checks and that kind of thing. That is, uh, Starfield finally had one of those moments rather than just shooting a lot of pirates in the face. So I'm like, Uh, okay, okay, I'm getting into this more.
1: Uh, I can't remember the name of the quest, but like in Skyrim when he kind of had to infiltrate the snobby elf party um, and, <laughs> yeah. and pass a lot of charisma checks, as you say.
0: Yeah, I am uh, actually seriously debating betraying the, uh, the, the UC and joining the pirates, if I can, <laughs> right. uh, because I, uh, I like the pirates better. They're very Pirates of the Caribbean. They're a little lame, but at the same time, they're more fun. Than the Vanguard. I don't want to be a cop, is what I'm saying.
1: Bethesda uh, always wrote better villains that way. Like, I, th- I love the Thieves Guild in Skyrim, and the, the Assassins Guild uh, was pretty great too. So I always joined the bad guys when I'm in a Bethesda RPG, inevitably.
0: I'm in a moment in the story. I was like, why can't I put anybody, any of my companions in my shit? Where are they? I realized that I hit a moment in the story where all of the companions went somewhere. Together, so they all basically left my party. And Ditched in order you. to get them back on my ship, I have to go and do that story mission. I'm like, ah,
1: okay, well, that's annoying. That is annoying. They ditch you, and then they're like, oh, if you want to like, be part of our cool group, you have to find us and do the story. <laughs> you want to be like, <laughs>
0: screw you, yeah. Like, girl. there's this um, Russian lady, uh, Starfield's companions are let's find a bunch of archetypes from uh around the world. Here's your uh, here's your British lady, and here's your, your Russian lady, Russian. and here's your African person, and here's your et cetera. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's cool, I suppose. Uh, but I got to liking the Russian lady a little bit. But then all of a sudden, she was just like, I'm going to go do a story thing now. Bye. And I'm like, oh, okay. Bye. See ya. I want you on my <laughs> ship. Bye, friend. Why can't you live in my captain's quarters? I don't know. But I I I almost quit Starfield earlier this week because I was just so desperate to get out of it. But I'm gonna see it through. It's happening, cat. Good for you. I've found the fun.
2: I'm, okay. I'm happy for you. It's that, there. That sounds like so much work to get to. Oh, I, it's I have way a too limited, much work. I have a limited amount of time on this earth. I have one life to live.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna find
0: things that spark joy sooner. I don't blame <laughs> you. I think that genuinely when the mods start coming out when we start getting full support from mods and people really go into it i think fans will turn this into a good game
2: but yeah, as it is right way. now
0: it's just a base level i don't i'm not saying this is a pray i'm not saying this is as, pra- as praise this is a Be- very bethesda thing mm-hmm. to have the fans turn into a good game but it's already underway people rebalancing the mechanics introducing all of the quality of life stuff that should have been in there in the first place. And I expect very, uh, very in-depth fan projects that will actually make use of the ships and whatnot in interesting ways to the point where I'm probably going to want to buy the Steam version because as it is, the Xbox Game Pass version does not support a script extender because of the way Game Pass works, which means that a huge proportion of the mods that are to come are not going to work with it. Oh, Um, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's interesting how Bethesda games are kind of like almost a resume for so many up-and-coming game developers. Like, here's the mod I made for this Bethesda game. It's like, oh, okay, you fixed a Bethesda game. Good job.
0: For sure. And and seriously, though, for sure, yeah.
2: the game uh, last year that was just a Skyrim mod that was turned into a full game and the full game was amazing? Uh, uh, Help me. I I played it and I loved it. Why can't I remember? Uh, The time loop game.
0: I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, that someone, sounds great, though. Someone
2: in chat uh, saved me here. Uh, it, was, it was a time loop game where you—no, not Loop Hero. It was, it was a sky. It was a Skyrim mod turned into a game uh, where every everybody in in town is is turning to gold if they commit a sin. Oh, cool! That's
1: amazing. Better, better than they. No
2: 10, one know what this is. Ten
1: thousand mods game. out
0: there.
2: No, not You're... Golden Idol. Oh my god! All right.
0: are the to my, Listen to my
2: mechanical keyboard again.
0: This is some good podcasting, everybody.
2: Uh shush! Forgotten, uh, Forgotten City.
0: Oh, that game.
2: Yeah, uh, Forgotten City was that started
0: as a Skyrim mod.
2: Yeah, it was. not know it that. Was, no kidding. It was a Skyrim mod, uh, that turned into a, a a standalone game. That's a time. Yeah, okay. Time loop mystery set in the ancient Roman. I played this game. I'm sorry, I don't remember all of this. It's like a lifetime ago. It feels like. Sorry, uh, to yeah.
1: developers, if you're listening
2: yeah you basically go down and you get caught in this time loop where you're in like this kind of ancient roman styled city where there's this this the situation where if you if you commit a sin you get turned into a golden statue and cool. you end up in this time loop where you're trying to you're, you're talking oh. to people and you're trying to to break this curse it's genuinely really freaking that good.
1: sounds really good i'm gonna like have it to is, give that a try it ends up
2: being a really cool mystery where you're trying to figure out like what happened here and and why why because it Everybody in the city ends up turning to gold all at once. And so you try to figure out, okay, who committed the sin that screwed mm-hmm. everybody over? Oh, cool. Uh, and yeah, it's it's very good. Uh, it's short, uh, very, very good, forgotten city. Um, but yeah, it, it, great example of what Kat's talking about. Uh, someone someone modded a Skyrim and it turned out to be, I don't know, it sounds like kind of a better game than Starfield. And,
1: and yeah, Shareable, Texas, that is actually a plotline in DQ11. I, uh,
0: I... There are many games that spun out of mods that began life as one game and became something entirely different.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's why the Warcraft 3 remake was such a, as I understand it, like, if you make something out of this, we own it kind of
0: deal. Ugh. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's because they didn't want another Dota situation. Exactly. But I don't have enough money. Genuinely, if you are listening to this and you want to get into the video game industry as a video game creator, don't go to video game college it's a waste no. of money right go to a, go to a regular university get a skill uh in like art or programming or something and then you join a mod team in a yep. game like starfield or whatever total conversion and you get a portfolio and you take yep. mm-hmm. that portfolio and if you say that you've created this mod and you are heavily involved if it's the mods good enough and the development team is supportive They will notice you Mm -hmm. and you can get a job in the games industry this way or at a minimum, you'll have items in your portfolio. So there you go. Cats, two minutes of how to get into the games industry.
1: It's all about experience. Like say, speaking as someone who has, does not have a college education, but has been in the industry a long time and has made lots and lots of work. That is what they care about. I have not had a single person ask me about my education. No. Reb,
0: you're playing an RPG I, right now. It's called In Stars School and sucks. Time. Tell me uh, more about
2: it. I, so I've actually finished this, and I'm going to be very wow. careful because this game is not out yet. Uh, it's out yeah. on November twentieth for Switch and PC. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give everybody I, I'm gonna talk about this game and talk about what I love about it. I'm gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything for people. It's not even out yet. Uh, but I, I am gonna talk a little bit about the basic premise. So if you don't want to know anything about video games going in, uh, don't cover your ears or whatever. Uh, so In Stars and Time. Uh, i am obsessed with it is so good it appeals to the undertale sicko in my heart Uh oh uh it is a it is also a time loop game incidentally uh you play as this uh little 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 fellow named sifrin uh who's part of this this party of adventurers uh it's a team of four in battle but you're also accompanied by a child named bonnie uh who occasionally jumps in and hits uh, enemies with a frying pan it's very cute uh, but they, we don't let the child fight up front though, because they're a child. Uh, but it's this party of adventures, uh, and it's a time loop game that starts in the final city before the final dungeon of of this this adventure. So you're all your party's like level forty five when you start. Uh, your, your mage Odile knows like. It, it, the the battle system is is literally rock, paper, scissors. So everybody has a rock, paper or scissors affinity. Uh, enemies will do a hand sign to indicate what type they are. <laughs> so if you see enemies going like this or like this, or like sign. this you know what they're weak <laughs> against. Uh, That's funny. Yeah, uh, but Odile's magic is stuff like paper three, rock three, because, you know, she's been doing this for a while now. Everyone's level 45. You're the last town. uh, You gather your party. You head into, you've already collected the five orbs needed to open the final dungeon. You open the final dungeon. uh, You go inside, and this is in the trailers. It's like very minor. It's not a spoiler. Uh, You walk into the final dungeon, and you are promptly crushed by a falling rock.
1: Uh, absolutely demolished. Uh, Everyone dies.
2: And then Sifrin wakes up again in the same meadow that uh, he woke up in at the beginning of the game and discovers that he is in a time loop uh, mm-hmm. and is therefore able to help his party navigate this final dungeon because anytime they are killed by a monster, anytime a trap springs on them, anytime something happens to them, he is able to simply rewind time and do it all over again. Uh, and the thing that I love, the, the, big, the big thing that I love about Star- in stars and time that I am not, I'm not going to get too deep into, but you eventually do get to the King. Uh, the King is this, this villain who has frozen all of the country that you are in currently in time, to- in time. So he's, he's gradually freezing everybody in time and trying to freeze Vogard. And you want to stop him from doing that. You get to him, you fight him. Uh, you might have to time loop a little bit to do it. Eventually you defeat him. And then the real game starts.
1: <laughs> hmm. I love uh, games like that.
2: I'm not going to tell you what it is, uh, but it, but it is a time loop game, uh, and it is it is exceedingly well done. Um, I I was very nervous about this game because the the art style is everything I want. Uh, the vibes are everything that I want. I was really worried that going through this one town and this one dungeon over and over again for like 25 hours, it's like a 25 hour game, was going to get real boring real fast. Uh, there's a lot of really good quality of life stuff put in that allows you to skip uh, things that you've seen before. So you don't have to just constantly go through things. You gradually get more abilities that make going through the dungeon like much easier on each subsequent loop uh, or allow you to skip things that you've done before or take shortcuts. Uh, but the real star of the show is the writing. In Stars and Time mm. is so well written. Uh, to the point where there are there are little interactions with your party as you go through this dungeon uh, things that you examine, conversations that you could have with them that as Sifrin goes on these loops uh, he learns more about his party and is able to participate in conversations in different ways or gains a new understanding of what's being talked about uh, or is able to take the conversation in different directions and you find yourself going through these conversations repeatedly because you know on this, on this loop something will have changed and you want to see what they say this time because you've done something different or something different is going on uh, and it's it's so good at leaving you those breadcrumbs and going back to places you've been before to see what's different this time um, it's it's really good um it's really it's really funny uh, it's really heartfelt and genuine genuine it's really wonderfully gay uh in, in the best way i believe
0: you just three, said the magic words reb it's
2: it's a party of it's party of five uh love that show there is one I, be- I believe there are three characters that are somewhere in the asexual, aromantic vicinity in some way, and they talk about it with each other, like, lovingly and joyfully, and, and in ways that really resonated, w- resonated with me. Uh, there's One of the main party members is trans. Uh, one of the main party members is uh, a little older and more... She's an older woman, and she's, like, a little more, I guess... I want to say like traditional, but accepting, like she has that very, that vibe of, Hey, I come from somewhere else. I've been around a little bit longer than most of you. I don't always fully understand what you're all talking about, but I love you all and am supportive of the things that, of the people that you are and the choices. It's that me. You
1: make.
2: Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's really, really loving and heartfelt, but then also does the wonderful Undertale thing of, if you got really into Undertale when it came out and we're really into the oh, there's something else going on yeah. under all this, and I'm gonna figure out what it is. And and that unsettling feeling when something when you suddenly see something weird and you're like, ooh, like the what? true
1: lab, in yeah, Unabon. yeah, Best place freaks me out.
2: That vibe. If you're into that, this game goes places. It's really freaking good. Well, um, day one for me, then yeah i'm I'm super into it uh in stars in time i I'm really excited for this to come out so I can gush about it a little more freely and, and talk about the places mm-hmm. it goes uh I actually i'm I'm in this weird situation where i I beat it I don't know if it has multiple endings uh I feel that it might but I don't I don't know. And there's there's things that I didn't do that I want to go back and do, but I accidentally saved at a point where I can't Ah. go back. And so I'm I'm kind of waiting for it to come back, so come out so I can watch a bunch of videos on YouTube and see if there was anything (laughs) that I missed or or a different path I could have taken. Uh, But I'm just I'm I'm really obsessed with it. It's so good. In Stars and Time, RPG nerds get on that stuff.
0: Was it a Next Fest uh, demo? Because there's a demo out right now.
2: So I actually don't know. There there is a demo right now called Start Again uh that is i highly recommend playing because it is it is a separate standalone game it's i think like just a couple hours long uh and it's the same characters it's the same premise uh but it is a standalone story that either if you if you don't play it you haven't missed anything but if you do play it it dovetails nicely into in stars and time
0: i uh will absolutely be checking this game out when it comes out it sounds absolutely delightful and i like the premise it reminds me a little bit of a moon rpg remix
2: yeah in some uh, ways it's a little bit moon like it's a lot like there a game that i love talking about and don't talk about nearly enough is this little game called uh the last five or the longest five minutes which the premise of that, it, it, was, it was kind of an eh game, but uh, the premise of that was that you're in the, the final boss battle and the final boss takes away your memory. And so the premise of the game is the main character while, while the boss is charging his final attack that's going to destroy you for five minutes, you're desperately trying to remember who you are and who your companions are and what all of your moves are. Yeah. And you're flashing back through your whole journey. It's a little bit like that too. That's wow, pretty fun. That
0: sounds so cool.
2: It is. It's I. It ended. I it wasn't. The execution was kind of iffy for me on longest five minutes, but it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great idea, and the music was phenomenal in that game. So yeah.
0: Nadia, you got to check out Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Ooh. Yes,
2: I did. Uh, Square flew
1: me out, so uh, full disclosure. Thanks to them, but yes, I did get to get my hands on what was essentially the Tokyo Game Show demo, uh-huh. and uh, that is divided into two parts. Number one is kind of a more story oriented part where you. I'm not going to, I'm really going to try to avoid spoilers, but it is the part in FF7 where you do play as with Sephiroth to investigate this uh, reactor that's kind of malfunctioning. It's a major turning point in FF7's story. Uh, So there was that. And then you had a much more open worldish part where you got to kind of walk around the the, uh, environs and. Scan animals, which is always fun. I love doing that kind of thing. Find chocobo chicks who lead you to these little like stops and whatnot. I love the aesthetic that they are doing here because the thing with the original FF7 is that, yes, it takes place after a war, a major war between Shinra and pretty much the world. And it's a lot more emphasized in remake where, uh, basically you see how everything has been trashed. Like the chocobo stations that you kind of repair are, uh, are next to train tracks. There was something there. It's not like you're just making ch- stations in nowhere. Like, there's a lot of... Um, the demo gave me kind of an opportunity to get on Chocobo and run around a lot and uh, just kind of hunt for these, quote-unquote, four fiends, not the ones you're thinking of. But I got to kind of go into combat against them. I don't know what they changed with the combat in this game, if anything, but I feel like it's a lot more easy to manage than the original uh, remake, which it still has the same idea where you're doing physical attacks, you're building up your at uh, atb meter, and you are using that meter to execute skills and spells. So that's still there, and there's also a lot of team up attacks. And uh, I was playing on the open world with Red Thirteen and um, Aerith, but you can there were several party member uh, configurations that you like try, uh, try out. I went to uh, what they are calling under junon which is the city under junon and i love how it is actually looks like a a city like a trashy city basically you're looking at like miniature midgar and god damn they have that stupid dolphin there why I, I said to them as soon as i put as soon as i finished the demo i put down the controller and said you had to bring back the dolphin huh just <laughs> <laughs> and yeah the, the same boss battles there and it's the same kind of mechanics where you have to Hit him in the air as much as he can. He's still a pain in the ass. I actually really hate that boss, but I kind of I still had fun beating him in remake. The story part, uh, the graphics in this game are so freaking good. Like it is such a bump up from
0: the first. It's sixty remake. fps, right?
1: Oh, it is just incredible. Like butter. Uh, that game looks so good, in at sixty fps, there is. You're you're both familiar with ff 7 right? And what happens in that flashback sequence? And how Cloud is not quite himself. And the way that Cloud is depicted in this flashback is done so perfectly. You can see exactly what they are doing. And even his eyes, and the expression in, in, in Cloud's eyes is matches that particular moment. And his gestures match that particular moment. His dialogue, his tone of voice is done so well. It's like, oh, how devious. I absolutely love it. So given that was... That particular sequence is one of my favorite parts in Final Fantasy VII. I think they really kind of nailed it. And, of course, playing a Sephiroth, it's like, hey, now you can play a Sephiroth. Here's a big-ass sword. Thank you. I'm good. (laughs) It's as cool as you you would think. Did
0: you get uh, any insight into whether this game is actually open world or not? Because there's been some confusion on that front.
1: There is definitely confusion. I get more of the feeling that it's open zone. But I can't say for sure one way or the other. And that's fine. I don't need every game to be a humongous, sprawling open world. I feel like maybe they're going for something more like Monster Hunter without having a central hub. But more like, I mean, he'll, even Baldur's Gate 3, you move from area to area. And it's perfectly, I, I'm great with it. Yeah, it's fine. Not everything has to be enormous. And there was still a lot to do. Like, uh, I, I don't think you would say they brought back Chocobo Hot and Cold, but something similar to it. So you can like hunt for items, you can pick up stuff, you know, the usual stuff. I was sent on a monster hunting quest where I had this little AI following me and explaining things about the monsters I was told to take down. Like, oh, here's the such and such. It's mating season is now, and that's why it's here and being angry. Kind of reminded me of FF14's fate, to be honest with you, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, there's an opening scene. I, I was wondering, like, okay, we're going to get Condor Fort in, in this remake I love the Condor Fort sequence in FF7. I'm an absolute maniac. I don't know if the game is coming back, the one they had in uh, Integrade, but I can say that you walk out onto this platform and during the beginning of the story sequence. Humongous has bird swoops out of nowhere and picks up one of the uh, the robe people, you know, who are like kind of going to Genova's reunion because there's a whole bunch of them, and just take grabs this this poor person who's moaning and like s- flies off to wherever the hell. And they're all watching this bird fly away, and Barrett says, "Oh, he ain't coming back." <laughs> <laughs> There was actually a great moment where uh when before we started the demo the uh PR people said, "Hey, we have a we have a big surprise for you." It turns out the voice actors were in New York City for Comic-Con. So, we're like, "Oh, cool. Where are they?" We're looking for them in the room and you just suddenly hear Barrett's voice actor. I don't even know what he said, but he just rips out this amazing Barrett voice line, like he's just this huge force. And they step out from behind this freaking sign. Like, that was just this tiny sign holding them all. So Barrett said, I can't remember what he said, but I just said immediately, like, you're goddamn right. And everyone just starts laughing. <laughs> That's a very naughty moment. <laughs> it really was. I couldn't help myself. Uh, so they all kind of stepped out and said hi to us. And that was really neat. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great demo. I, it's the same tone as Remake, where it's it definitely has that FF7. It knows what makes it ff7 an atmospheric game but at the same time it still has that really goofy fun sense of humor that's clouds clouds cloud is cloud and i love cloud i love cloud there's my there's my ff7 summary. there's your take little there's sad, take. I little love sad boy
2: fuck up you love
1: him a little sad boy fuck up he's a boy he's trying yeah. so hard he's yeah. like my cat who tried to jump up on the shelf the other day and fell yeah that's cloud yeah he's trying
0: i'm going to say something nice about final fantasy 7 rebirth all right. I, I can't deny that this is a passion project on the part Early of the creators. Yeah. This is not, maybe it was created with cynical intentions, but the motivations behind its development are not cynical. These people who are making it have been working on this this creative thing, much like Neon Genesis Evangelion, have been re- working on this thing for 20, 20 years at this point, And they're just kitchen sinking it and that's apparent in Rebirth. And I appreciate that. Somebody was yeah. making a joke like Final Fantasy sixteen Clive doesn't have time for minigames. It's like flash smash cut to Final Fantasy Seven <laughs> Rebirth. <laughs>
1: I'm so excited to waste my time in the gold saucer. Man, uh, when I see those games, like I spent so many hours on the motorcycle chase game, like just that ridiculous stupidity. Mm. And they even brought back like the brawling game, which was a piece of junk in the first game. But they're like, hey, let's make it actually fun. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: I uh, I really liked Intergrade, uh, for what it's worth. And a lot of that is because I love Yuffie and I thought that they did a great job with Yuffie. Like... Yuffie
1: is in the demo, yeah. what I played, yeah.
0: I didn't care for her. The plot elements that they revealed in Intergrade and the, um, shall we say, implications for the broader story, but uh, that's neither I here feel nor there. Like have, but the
1: broader story is really secondary in this game. It's really about the character interactions. Like I agree. Uh, I, they, were, they had Yuffie in the in the demo that I played. Like uh, it's probably not too spoilers to say, like you know, she was out in the middle of the. Uh, you know, Junon has that like that watery area with the monster in it she was out in the middle of it being Yuffie saying help help because like, she was surrounded and that's when the dolphin rescued her ah, freaking dolphin
0: Final Fantasy 7 uh, well that's it for the tavern thank you all for sharing your thoughts on the various games we've been playing Nadia take us home another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to say for it
1: Uh, This is semi-related to what I was just talking about. You know, I travel a lot. Obviously, we all travel quite a bit. And um, I'm probably the one who travels over international borders the most or among the most because uh, you guys get to kind of travel more within the country. So when I was in New York City, I met up with Eric because he was there with a bunch of friends for um, shenanigans. Uh, I wasn't able to stay for them, unfortunately, but we were just kind of had a a moment to meet up and talk. And we were talking about, like, things we've said to border guards to – you know kind of soften them up and i've said recently that if you are if you get a border guard who is uh who loves video games that's easy mode for crossing you you got meth you got heroin bring it on in as long as you say you like video games you want to you want to talk about assassin's creed sure uh don't bring meth or 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 anything over the u.s border please (laughs) don't tell them i said that but anyway yeah so we were just talking about like you know things that uh that have happened in that regard. And I, the earliest incident I can remember was when I covered E three two thousand six. And that was really my big first game event, like out of the country. And I, I went and I did that and that was all fun. And this was still when I was working part time as a dog groomer. So I came back on like a really late flight. I was like literally the last person through customs that night. And the border guard is like, you know, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh um, you know, I I write about video games and I also I also groom dogs. And he says, Oh, yeah? Well, I bet there hasn't been a video game about dog grooming. I said, Actually, yes, there has. It's called Nintendo Dogs. Um, exactly.
0: Actually, actually, there has been. It's
1: called Nintendo Dogs. And it's actually a Barbie game about dog grooming. I said, Oh, man. I hope in this game, like, the, the dog shits all over itself and Barbie's done the groom and she just loses it because that <laughs> is the ultimate grooming experience. But I said that to the border guard and he's just like, Get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was going to New York City, um, uh, I was crossing the border. And I really, really try not to say I'm doing anything, anything at all for work when you tr- cross into the U.S. It's a good way to get your ass kicked. So I said, I'm meeting really? with some colleagues. Not a lie. He's like, oh, why are you meeting them? Ah, shit. Well, I work remotely and I have a lot of colleagues and we all kind of get together and we talk and, you know, we, we network. And he's like, oh, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, uh, do you play video games? He's like, yes. I said, oh, thank God. I said, "I, I – basically you know i podcast and i do some writing and he's like what's your favorite video game i'm like oh shit you're gonna do this to me right here the u.s border customs huh and i'm like final fantasy 6 and he looks at me with this blank stare i'm like oh shit uh baldur's gate 3 i'm really into baldur's gate 3 right now he's like do you like assassin's creed and i don't but i'm like yeah
0: i love assassin's creed man it's the greatest and i don't imagine if you had said no he would have been like get the hell get back to canada (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's what I. I actually said to him, like, "Can I? If I say, like, I say Assassin's Creed, can I cross the border? Well, you give me my passport back." <laughs> 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 he was a really cool guy, actually. So, like, he, I said to him, "Yeah, I was actually like, you know, I saw at E3 the reveal of Assassin's Creed because I, I was at that particular E3. So, yeah, like, oh, that's so cool." And so that's how you get through border guards. Mm-hmm. You, you you talk about the games they like. I've I've had some pretty cool conversations with them in that regard. Uh, don't take meth over the border. Thank you.
0: Some years ago, I tried to get over the uh, Canadian border, and we're in customs. I'm sick. I have a uh, Pax crud. We're yeah. heading into Vancouver, and we stop. Uh, our intention is to hang out in Vancouver. We have an Airbnb, whatever. The border guard goes, uh, uh, "Do you do you have? Uh, why are you here? Or so? Uh, do you have an address?" are you staying? I said, I'm staying with friends or something like that. And they're like, Oh, like, who are they? And I was just like, uh, and my partner, Emily just goes, why are you, why did you say that? Don't lie (laughs) to the border guard. (laughs) I'm just, she's like, you're going to get pulled into the security office and then you'll never be able to come into Canada again because they're very strict. If they turn you away at the border, from that point on, you're always going to be checked forever. For oh, life. of
1: course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Although I have been polled at the U.S. border and it, that only happened once and never happened again. And that was a big learning experience. You oh, don't yeah. lie to the border guard, but you kind of massage the truth you a little, stretch little if the you need tr- to. Stretch
0: the truth. Yeah. Hence why I said I'm meeting friends instead of going to a preview event. My uh, housemate Ryan once was driving up to Vancouver as well. And he, for some reason, decided that he was going to drive overnight. And he gets to the Vancouver border, the Canadian border, and he is completely exhausted, bleary-eyed. <laughs> They're doing the check. They open his uh, his trunk, and they find a huge package of Soylent. And at this time, Soylent is a relatively new thing. It was basically in beta. And yeah. if you look at Soylent... It looks a heck of a lot like bricks of cocaine. It does. Oh, and yes. they were like, what the heck is this? He's like, uh, "Uh oh, shit. And so they actually impounded the car, did the the deep clean and everything. Oh, also, he forgot his passport. Oh, that's so, great. <laughs> uh, that looks After great. driving all the way up to the Canadian border, remarkably, after everything, he did manage to get into the country they did not send him all the way back even without a States. passport what even year without was this a passport i mean this was soylent was relatively early this must have been like 2013 2014 but uh so yeah
1: God, shenanigans I at
0: the canadian border
1: Chanette, i love that they let him through with first of all with weird ass soylent which is probably not approved by any canadian like health thing and then was he selling that what was he doing with all <laughs> soylent
0: He, you know, he's the kind of guy who is very on top of early tech things. Mm. And this was very much a tech bro. Do you not want to eat food? Do you just want energy? Well, tech bros, here, try out Soylent. And he's like, I'll try out Soylent. And so he just had a giant package in his trunk because he never got it out of his car for whatever reason. Like you do, I guess. I love that he got it without a
1: passport, though. That's the wildest thing to me.
2: My mm-hmm. uh, my only border story is from when I was very, very young. I was like six or seven years old. And it's a very fuzzy early memory for me. But we were also going, we were going to Canada. We were going on a family vacation and we got to the border. And I don't I don't know what the laws were like then, but my parents didn't have any documentation for me. Like they didn't have, yeah. a, I didn't have a passport. Like we didn't, have, I, I was six <laughs> years old. Like I was just the kid and they had their own passports, but they didn't have anything for me. So we got to the border and- the Border Patrol was like, no, what are you doing? Are you kidnapping this child? Like, what? who is this kid? And my parents are, like, scrambling through their wallets and the car and everything trying to find, like, some proof that I am their child because they don't have any. And the, the Border Patrol is starting to, like, look very suspicious and call a couple extra security guards into the room Uh-oh. because... They, they are starting to, because my parents are getting very flustered, and they're starting to think maybe they have kidnapped a child and are trying to take a kidnapped child over the border. And they just have, like, no proof that it's me. And finally, my dad pulls from his wallet his credit card, which he had just recently gotten a new credit card. And he had gotten one of those custom ones that had a photo of me on it. Oh, so cute, It's <laughs> because that's what you did I guess back in the day and yeah. he holds up this credit card with like a photo of five year a school photo of five-year-old me you know sitting there going Yee! in front of the blue <laughs> background with a big fat bow on the top of my head and he's like does this prove that she's my daughter this is my credit card this is my name and whatever and they all Ugh. kind of looked at it and they're like all right, yeah, I guess so. Only a dad
1: would do a thing like that.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, if they were kidnapping a child, they probably wouldn't go through the trouble of getting me credit card at all. That's adorable, team. though. Yeah. yeah, so I, th- they learned their lesson about preparing for travel after that.
0: You do learn lessons eventually. You do. And we all learned our lesson listening to this podcast. And that's it <laughs> for this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much to Reb for joining us if you enjoyed the show once again please support us on patreon you can find merch at shop.gov and you can also support us at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod and we had a great crew today in the stars of destiny chat despite the fact that we recorded on a sunday instead of a saturday yeah uh, thank you so much to Abbey of the Moon, Amy, Anthrax Bees, Izyxa, Beware the Slimes, Drew, RWX, Harvest Lunatic, Not Hollow, Mango, Alts, MX Beckas, Robo Riley, Shareable Texas, Spirus, Stargazer, and Teeps for joining us. And thank you so much for your generous support. We are going to head now into the Act of the Blood God post-show to get up to even more shenanigans what awaits us in blood god after dark i don't know find out be a star as a de- star of destiny and you'll get to see what happens in the acts of the blood god post show until then for red for nadia and myself thanks for listening happy adventuring
2: Is that graceful?